you can't just teach a principle you have to be the example and the reality is everybody struggles we all have moments where we feel like we're completely broken where we're backed into a corner where we cannot conceptualize getting up and facing the day facing our challengers facing the adversity it's just too much that's james lawrence extreme endurance athlete renowned speaker and world record holder who completed 101 consecutive ironman length triathlons in 101 days and is regarded by many as the toughest man alive i promise you no matter where you are what you're doing if you're broken you're defeated you can get up and do one more and i don't know how many times you're going to have to get up and do one more and sometimes you're going to have to get up and do one more alone but i promise you you can do it I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with James Lawrence to discuss why playing it safe can be a recipe for disaster, how to build mental toughness to overcome seemingly impossible obstacles, and how embracing a mindset of zero excuses will fuel your success. It's so easy and quantifiable. Um, You eliminate any type of excuse or entitlement and you show up and do the work. Like that's seriously as simple as it can get. You look, everybody needs to stand up, look themselves in the mirror and go, okay, I'm in this position in my life because of me. You're taking accountability for where you are in your life. Only then can you start to make the changes that you need to. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Known as the Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence first gained notoriety in 2015 after completing 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 consecutive days. This year, he broke that record, upping the ante to 101 Ironmans in 101 consecutive days. I began our conversation by asking James about the series of events that led to him pursuing such ambitious goals. I actually grew up in Canada, Calgary, Alberta, and uh, moved to, to Utah, came down here to visit one friend I had. And um, I never went home, met my wife. We're about to celebrate 21 years of marriage. Uh, we've got five kids, which is crazy fun and cool. Um, uh, but yeah, in 2008, uh, we used to own a mortgage company. And like the rest of the United States and then the ripple effect around the world, um, we struggled. And we ultimately ended up losing everything. And you know, looking back at that um, adversity and struggle, you can take two roads. You can either uh, roll over and, uh, and let it get the best of you, or you can stand up, join forces with your family, and you can fight. And uh, you either take back what's yours, or you go create something new. And we decided to go create something new, um, which was in the endurance space. We were already we were already racing and and really enjoying the sport. Um, but I thought to myself, okay, how much how much money can we raise for charity, and can we break a few world records along the way? So, and I think this all started with your wife, Sunny, who originally signed you up for a race. I read, and I don't know if this is true, that you hate running or you hated running. Is this still true? Hated, hate, present time, past, yeah, all of it. Yeah. Not a huge fan. 
Um, but I enjoy competition. I like doing things that make me uncomfortable. Um, but I also love the, the cycling, swimming, uh, competitive side of the sport. And so if, if running is, is a piece of that puzzle, then, uh, by doing so I'm, I become more mentally tough and, and, you know, I, I think we should all do things we don't always like that. That's a recipe for softness. Now, when you're talking about mental toughness, when you, when you first ventured down this path, was that the goal just to figure out how you could test yourself or did you kind of come to that realization after basically a series of adversities? Yeah, I, I think through a series of adversities and, and gaining momentum, um, having some small successes, you kind of get put in this like uh, box to where you're the, a guru in a, in a said space. And, and I don't like to be pigeonholed or, or put into one. And so for me, it's just always been part of the journey. I'm not trying to force anything. I'm not trying to be anybody. I'm, I'm not. And I'm just, I'm just on a journey to, to find my personal limits. And it just happens. I have a family of seven and they come along with me and, and we're parenting and, and doing business and everything on the side. I mean, it's, I'm not a, I'm not a contractually paid multi-million dollar athlete that get is I have a family and a business and everything that we run on the side. I am, I'm a weekend warrior that loves to, to push limits and you can't go from zero to a hundred. And so over the course of a decade, we gained knowledge experience and found out that we would love this type of campaign. And ultimately we discovered that through speaking around the world, our story is giving people hope. And if that's the end result of, of our suffering and sacrifice, then I'm all in. And uh, helping people get out of their own way and to have hope on their journey is is incredibly meaningful. So it's, it's interesting to me. It, it, I, I will say when you called yourself a weekend warrior, that might be a bit of an understatement in, 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 in a sense. But, you know. So there's many people that want to run an Ironman, right? And for those listening that don't know what an Ironman is, it's you know a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, 26.2 mile run. And for most people, like this is something they will train all year round for to even do one. And I, I think before, like even we get to the 50, 50, 50, before that, I think you did something like 30 Ironmans in a year. Like what, what compels somebody to want to do like more than one in a year or more than two in a year? Yeah, I, you know, I, I I joke all the time, and I'm saying, man, that escalated quickly. Um, but it really it was over the course of a decade, and we, you know, we broke the world record for the most half Ironmans. Then we broke the record for the most full Ironmans, which was 30 um, through 11 countries, all official events. Um, ended up winning two of those, placed second five times, and just had an unbelievable experience for myself. I learned a lot. It was a really great stepping stone. Um, and, you know, I, I talk about this a lot about how when you're in the middle of something, it's like the hardest thing you can ever imagine and conceptualize because that's the limit of your current experience and knowledge. But then once you overcome, you stick with it and you achieve that goal, then you look back and go, okay, I learned X, Y, Z, and I can now conceptualize and apply that to something even bigger. And so the 50 Ironmans in 50 days through 50 states came about, and we started to put that together. That was a two and a half year planning process. Went and executed that amongst chaos, confusion, and disaster. And then again, that leads you to the belief that you can do more. And over the pandemic, because I'm in the world of speaking, coaching, racing, mentoring, and because of the pandemic, those are all group related activities, and that the world 
the world shut down, my world got shut down. And it was an opportunity for me to to kind of give it a give it a last go to see what I'm truly capable of. If we remove kind of that chaos, the logistics, the distractions, what is possible just mentally and physically? And so we settled on the number 100 consecutive full distance triathlons all to be done here in Utah just to find out, okay, is the mind and body capable of that type of stress for an entire quarter of a year? So James, I'm curious, David Goggins, I think once said something along the lines of like, when you're setting these like ultra ambitious goals, you're usually doing so from like the comfort of your home or the comfort of your couch. It's rare that you're doing it in the middle of it, right? In the middle of that struggle, you're probably thinking this is awful. So when you set out to do these things, what's, what's that process like? And when are you usually setting those goals? Yeah, definitely not during, I retire every race, um, especially in the middle of it, when it's getting hard, you, you swear to yourself and, and commit to yourself that this is the very last one. Um, and, and so I think we're blessed with short-term memory and we tend to forget how bad the bad was and we remember the good moments, the successes and the victories. Um, and I think that's a great way to be wired uh, because eventually we do something bigger and harder. And if we knew how difficult a challenge was always going to be and we only remembered the hard times, we would never go and push our limits. And really, again, the concept of going from zero to 100, I think is flawed. And yes, I want people to set giant goals, but I don't want you to come up off the couch and set an impossible goal for yourself because you're going to set yourself up for failure. These guys that are successful that you see in the limelight that are at the top of their game, they went through insane struggles, adversity, and stepping stones along the way to get there. You don't just wake up and go, you know what? 100 Ironmans, 100 days, let's go. Because you you will fail, I promise you that. You have to methodically attack it with intent to achieve the goal. And you need to gain momentum. You got to start chalking up little tiny wins along the way. If not, you're going to fail. And then now you're going to associate failure with you, which isn't who you are, right? We're all winners at our core. But if you go too big too quick, I promise you, you will fail. And then you're going to be labeled that. And it's going to be harder and harder to get off the ground doing successful things. So as I'm listening to you, I'm I'm starting to wonder if now having completed like the 101 Ironmans in in, in 101 days, do you look back now at this 50 Ironmans and 50 days and 50 states as, as almost like, oh, that was nothing at this point? Yeah, it's interesting you say that and have that perception because it's so true. Like I I mentioned earlier, we speak for a living. That's how I feed my family is through speaking and coaching. Um, Trust me, I don't get paid to suffer. (laughs) Nobody's paying us to do that. And so it's all perspective uh, based on where you are in your life, right? And so I knew we were in in the heavy stages of preparation for the 100. And but nobody knew about it because we hadn't made the announcement. And then I was speaking two audiences about the 50. And in my head, I was like, it was almost laughable because they obviously thought it was a big deal. And it is a big deal, but it's from their perception, right? But like just looking at raw numbers, right? The 50 was a seven-week campaign to cover 7,000 miles. And that's insane for the person that's coming off the couch or that's done one Ironman or anything like that. But being the person in the driving seat that has a decade worth of experience. And now you're staring down the barrel of a 14 week campaign. That's 14,000 plus miles. Yes. It becomes laughable, but that's the beautiful part, right? When you're in the middle of something and you're pushing your limits, wherever you are, it should be hard. You should be pushing it. And then success happens and you look back and you grow and more becomes, it's like super, super hard math. When you're in fifth grade, you can't, really conceptualize really, really hard math. When you're doing fifth grade math in fifth grade, holy hell, that's the hardest. That is so damn hard. 
But now when you learn how to do calculus, when you're doing calculus, like fifth grade math is pretty damn laughable, right? And so it's all based on where you are on your journey and what experience and, and stepping stones you've successfully navigated through. If you don't have those stepping stones, you're setting yourself up for, for a disaster to happen. So, so what does the preparation look like mentally, physically, when, when you're about to embark on something like this, even going back to like the, the 50, you know, Ironman's 50 days and 50 states, like what, what did that, like even physical preparation look like mental preparation? Yeah. You, you can't prepare for a 50 day challenge, a hundred day challenge. You just try to get in the best possible shape, the most durable physique that you can, because you're, it's the battle of attrition. You have to learn how to eat on the move. You got you to gotta figure out how to consume that amount of calories while moving, while breaking your body down. You have to teach your body to continue to perform under duress, under injury. So the preparation is a lot of swimming, a lot of running, a lot of biking, a lot of strength training. But the mental side of stuff, it's a lifetime piece of work. To me, I look back at my entire life and my mental training started as a younger kid in athletics and then went into wrestling and then went into trying to figure out the sport of golf and then triathlon. These are all individual sports that whether you win or you lose, it's your fault. And you really start to, you know, it's my choice to come back and work on this craft and get better at it. And, and okay, this is where my weakness is. How do I become a more well-rounded athlete? And so really the, the mental side of stuff, I didn't do a lot of preparation going into the hundred, like as far as specific prep, it's because I've been building and flexing that muscle for a very long time. And now it becomes, okay, when the time comes, I now have the experience just to tap into that. And I'm going to continue to grow that muscle even during the experience. And it was, it was pushed to the max during the hundred because, you know, it's a long, long journey. And we, we had to stay mentally tough for a quarter of a year and you, you get into a protective state to where your, your mind is so powerful that it's protecting you from feeling everything that you're doing. And it is almost like you're in a traumatic state. And then your, your brain is just like, I'm going to protect you. And then I know we're going to talk about it, what happens after that you come out of that state, um, after something like this big goal in your life happens, how do you deal with that letdown, that come down or the aftermath? So every day that you're doing this, whether it's the swim, the bike or the, or the run, like, what are you thinking about while you're doing it? I'm just curious, like a 112 mile bike ride every single day, like, I mean, are you listening to music? Are you meditating? Like, how, how do you get through each one? Yeah, many, many different things. One, daydreaming. I think daydreaming is super important. You go through phases of that. You go through um, education or learning, listening to the podcast. You go through just mindless energy bump of music. And sometimes you just want it quiet and then you're starting to plan your future. You're, you're going through your past. I mean, your mind can do a lot of different things. And, and for me, the biggest thing was I used, especially that bike portion, an opportunity to to multitask and use use and strengthen my mind and educate myself. I listened to a podcast or two every single day and just tried to learn while I was out there. I'm like, I'm sitting here anyways. I'm unconsciously, consciously, you know, turning the wheels over. I know how to do this. And let's just see if I can occupy my mind so that it can get through it. And you can't look too far ahead, right? When you're on day 15, you're broken. You can't say, oh, I only have 85 more to go. It's just your brain, your brain will collapse on itself. And so you just really have to learn how to occupy your mind in the moment so that you, you are ever present all the time. And, and once you figure out how to be right there in that moment, and you take care of that moment, everything in the future has to take care of itself because you're always in that space. And, and how many times do you think about giving up? Like on, you know, as, as a percentage of the number of days that you're doing this, like, is this something that, you know, once a week or, you know, or only towards the tail end or is this happening more frequently? 
it's not a question of like or thought of I'm going to give up. It's like how much longer do I have to endure? Right. And so it was never a question of I'm going to give up. It's it's how do I manage or how do I cope? Right. It was more figuring that out, because as soon as you start to go down the path of of darkness and the thoughts come in and, okay, I'm going to give up, you're going to come up with a reason to validate that thought process. And you want to avoid that at all costs, uh, because that's a slippery slope. Because as soon as you start going down that road, and that's why it's so important to put an unbelievable team around you that can kind of tell when you're wavering, when you're faltering, when you're struggling. And I'm not saying you're not going to struggle or waver on the journey that you're on because you are, because we are human and it's just a natural part of the growth process. Like you're going to struggle, you're going to question. And that's why you have to have a really good reason why you're doing things. You have to have a great center or team around you. Your ethos has to be super strong. And that's the reason why you're doing what you're doing. And if you have a really strong ethos, you can always revert back to that and say, okay, if these are the, 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 the things that I truly believe in to my core, will this decision I'm about to make align with that core belief system? And so before anybody starts any big project, I think you should really sit down and figure out, okay, what's my ethos? What's my core values? What do I stand for? And then really commit and buy into that, those statements. And then every question you have on a tough journey becomes very easy to answer because you just revert back to what my ethos and what I stand for is. Because you will not make rational decisions when you're broken mentally, physically, when you're fatigued. And you have to say, okay, I'm I'm not of sound mind. What was my core values and system when I was in a sound mind and revert back to that. That's the easiest way to make decisions in a tough moment. Do you find that that like that ethos, perhaps that vision grew grew larger as you started to achieve things like this in terms of like the impact you could make? Because I, I just recall like originally, I think with the 50-50-50, uh, you were doing that for the Jamie Oliver Foundation, but I think it was like the charity for obese kids. And now you're starting to impact well beyond that. I mean, it's starting to make like national, international impact and that you're affecting quite a few more people. Doing something for a bigger cause is, you know, a very important driving factor uh, because you're doing something that is no longer just for you. And, you know, when you start talking about these big projects that cost a lot of money, um, you, you've got sponsors involved. You've got social media that people are watching literally from around the world. You've got friends that have maybe committed their time, energy, and effort to you. You've got your family that's relying on you not only to provide emotional support for them, but financially. I'm responsible for seven people. My my wife's parents live with us, so that's nine people. When you're in those moments of like, oh, do I want to quit? There's a lot things that are bigger than just who I am that'll impact that decision in that moment. So just as an example, part of my ethos could be do everything in my power to support the nine people that are relying on you for life, right? And so then I would go in a moment where I'm going to quit and I go back to my ethos and it says do everything in your power to make sure that those nine people, there's the obvious answer. You don't quit. You see this thing through because those nine people are, are relying on you at a high, high level, especially my kids, right? They can't fend for themselves yet. And I mean, they are getting a little bit older and I believe I could release some of them into the wild at this point. <laughs> but when we did the 50, I mean, they were ages six to 12. And you're talking six to 12 year olds, they're, they're not mature enough or you don't, you definitely don't want to release them out of the world. They just get eaten alive. They're not ready. James has accomplished feats of endurance that literally no one else on the planet has. However, he's adamant that we all have greatness within us. I asked James how he unlocked that greatness within himself. It's so easy and quantifiable. You eliminate any type of excuse or entitlement and you show up and do the work. Like that's seriously 
as simple as it can get. You look, everybody needs to stand up, look at themselves in the mirror and go, okay, I'm in this position in my life because of me. I need to take full accountability for where I am. I'm broke. It's my fault. I'm rich. It's my fault. I'm fat. It's my fault. I'm fit. It's my fault. And once you can get to the realization that you're taking accountability for where you are in your life, only then can you start to make the changes that you need to. And so I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. I just make a conscious decision to take accountability for who I am, where I am. And if I want to see a change or don't like what I see, I just take the simple actions to make those changes. Nobody's going to change overnight, right? You can ch- you can start to change your habits so that you can eventually change the pieces of yourself that you don't like or the circumstances that you're in, but it takes time. And everybody gets so discouraged. And the easiest example is an overweight person that's 300 pounds and doesn't like the way they live. They go on a, a lifestyle change for 30 days. They didn't see the changes they want and they abandon it. Well, newsflash you didn't take 30 days to get to 300 pounds. That took a lifetime to do that. And so let's make some real change and look at what's causing the problem and actually make a change and then take the time necessary. The biggest reason people fail, especially with big goals, is because they don't respect the time frame involved in order to have that change or that impact be in what they're doing. And so, so really on its surface, and obviously words are, are easier than actions, but on the surface, it's literally like make a commitment, take accountability, and then show up and do the work. And I love that. My title sponsor, who I've been with a long time, First Form, their slogan is we do the work. And they have an unbelievable culture there. They work hard. They're super successful. You want to talk about a successful company working out of the back of your car to over $400 million? Are you kidding me in supplements? Like that's a phenomenal story. And their tagline is like, look, I lead with integrity. I do things at a high level. I show up consistently and we do the work. They're accountable for the results that they get. And I think as as humans, we all need to take accountability for the results in our current lives. If you, if you don't like it, make a change. And, and, and I'm speaking specifically to the individuals that live in the United States because that's the landscape that I know. Trust me, I came to this country uh, with no money in my pocket. I knew one person. And I said, I'm going to make, I'm going to give myself a future. I found a beautiful woman. We have kids together. We are living the American dream. And I'm an entrepreneur and I have complete freedom. Do you find, I mean, this, because I know you talked about having a great team and being able to achieve these things with the team, but both your wife and your family, but also um, the, the team that's helped you through, through all these different races, like, do they all share the same values that you do? Your team has to share the same values. Whether you call it drinking the Kool-Aid or buying all in or whatever it is, whoever you put on your team, they better be drinking the damn Kool-Aid because if not, you're going to get into a situation where it's it's ugly. And if you guys don't align in your principles and your ethos and your ethics, you're going to have a problem and that team is now divided. And when you're broken and have a divided team, it's completely going to not go the direction you want it to go. And we're living, I'm living a current real world situation where the documentary crew and I were not in alignment. And as of right now, the documentary is not going to get produced because they're sitting on the footage saying, no, this isn't happening. He said, she said this, that, and the other. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, so when you're divided, things don't get done. And we are currently divided and like, it's not going to get done at this point, which is totally devastating for us because it was such an unbelievable journey that we feel needs to be documented. And, uh, and we're, we're in the middle of a battle because the team is divided. 
So I think John Maxwell said like everything worthwhile is this uphill climb. And I recall even even coming back to like to the 50-50-50 when you were doing that, like you're you're putting all this out on social media, you're sharing your numbers and all the data and then you're you're getting criticism, right? Like you'd think all this money's going to charity, people are criticizing you for like the IVs, right? They they I guess they call it like PEDs. Uh IVs were considered I guess doping by, you know, the World Anti-Doping Agency or when you had to do some things indoors because you know, weather permitting and even just other criticism on social media what you know what was that like yeah totally devastating and disheartening because when you're a pioneer of anything it's hard to follow a rule book and man i'm not saying we're perfect and to be honest with you part of the reason i did the 100 was to prove to those individuals and not that i give them any power but just to let them know like i am who i said i was and i'm going to prove it to you in this campaign and we erased any criticism, doubt, or anything with this campaign because of the level that we executed. We doubled the campaign that we were criticized for. And when I'm saying we were criticized for it, it was like a really small percentage that does it. Our support has been overwhelming. The positivity from our campaigns have been unbelievable. But when, when you do something that is perceived as impossible, then you have to be doing something dishonest. There's no way you could be doing this with integrity. And we were just like, no, man, we, and like I said, you know, you asked me, is anything off the table? No, nothing's off the table. I don't hide anything. We've never not disclosed anything. We put everything in the book. We put everything in the documentary. I've, I've talked openly about every topic. I, I take on anybody that wants to to battle with what I've said and not, not just to have an ego battle, but to try to understand where they're coming from. And hopefully they can understand where we're coming from and the decisions that we made. Nobody has done what we've done. And so how on earth could you have an opinion from behind a keyboard when when you have no basis of comparison for what we're doing. And to me, I actually laugh and I chuckle at it now because I heard once that you haven't arrived until you have haters online. And so I guess we've arrived. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's it's hard, right? Because I've heard people say, yeah, I don't pay attention to that stuff. And I don't see it. But it's like when you're putting your heart and soul into something and you're doing it every single day and then there's all the pain and the struggle and the adversity and like, you know that it's real. And there's somebody online saying, nope, wait a second, put an asterisk by this or that. I mean, that's tough. You know, it's probably tough for the people around you too. It's super hard. And we've just learned that their main goal is to to get a, a reaction out of you. That's what they want. Literally, I, I have found, because I've lost friends, I've lost family members, it stems from jealousy. And it's unfortunate, and it's their issues that they have to bear. And I ask myself all the time, like, man, I wonder what's going on in that person's life that they would have that perspective or why they would want to attack another human for doing something exceptional. And I've learned that perception and perspective is unique to everybody. And those two things are based off of somebody's life experience. And so I can't criticize somebody for having their perspective because it's theirs and theirs alone, and they're basing it off of their life experiences. I'm basing the decisions and the perception and perspective off of my life's experience. And frankly, we've had more life experience than anybody else doing this type of thing than anybody in the world. And so I'm very confident when I'm talking about it because we're the ones that have actually done it. And, and I want to make sure that people listening like actually do fully appreciate this because as, as we'll talk about the 100 in a moment, like going back to the 50-50-50, if you could talk about some of the logistical challenges of just even just doing 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states, because I, I don't know if enough people are really understand. I mean, the, one aspect is obviously the physical and mental challenge, but how to even be in 50 states in 50 days and be ready to go every single day. Dude, take the, the full distance triathlon Ironman off the table. Just take 
uh, five kids ages six to 12 in a motorhome and go visit every single state 50 consecutive days and knock that out of the park. Good luck. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have said, man, my, my kids would have killed me or I would have killed my kids or I would have killed my spouse. Now add the stress and confusion and, and chaos of doing uh, putting on an entire event every single day that involved the public, that involved the charity and social media and fundraising. I mean, just, I mean, look, I know who we are and what we did. And I don't need to try to convince anybody of it. And if you're a follower and a fan, you get it. And um, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. I just, this is the game we play and I play it really, really well. And, and you know, there's James Lawrence and then there's Iron Cowboy. If you could speak to how was this alter ego born? Like at what moment? So the name came in 2012 when we were breaking the world record for official events around the world. And my kids were really young, 10 and under. And it's a, it's the worst spectator sport on the planet. Like it sucks. Like you you see me off and then I'm gone for seven hours and then you come back. Well, that energy exchange is super important. I want it. The kids want it. And we all blend in as athletes, right? We're all wearing similar clothing. We're all, you know, this, that, and the other. And so I would wear a cowboy hat during the marathon portion of those runs. And they, my kids would see me, they get super excited. Hey, dad's coming. Here comes the cowboy hat. And the public just started to call me the Iron Cowboy. And so th that's where the name started. And then really during the 50 is when kind of that alter ego came because I had to dig to a depth that I'd never been before. And and to go into that extreme flow state, um, that, that requires you to put on your uniform, to be something different, to have that alter ego. And it's not a bad thing. People associate ego with a bad thing. It's not. It's, it's, it's getting your mind into a state where you can accomplish something that nobody else thought was possible. And so I've learned how to channel this individual when, when needed to be, or when I'm backed into a corner, when things get ugly. And that's in athletics, it's in parenting, it's in marriage, it's in friendships, it's in business. You have to figure out when it gets tough and when things aren't going as well and there's adversity and, and hardship right in front of you, you've got to be able to put on your tough boy uniform and and power through it. And sometimes it takes that mental that mental shift and an alter ego is just a a good cue or a way to way to do it to trick your mind to like, okay, it's it's game time is what we're doing right now. And, and when, when game time's on, there's no excuses and it's, it's easier to execute. And after you completed the 50, I mean, I, I'm just curious, like kind of the wave of emotions, how life changed and then really how you spent your time between that and the, and the hundred. Yeah. The, the 50, everybody warned of this like big letdown and depression and sadness. And I didn't experience it after the 50 because I got swept into this world of, of documentary and, and book writing and content creation and speaking. I mean, between the 50 and the 100, we spoke in 48 countries around the world. And and there was just like, we just kept riding the momentum and whatnot. Well, the 100 was very different because it wasn't a seven-week campaign. It was a 14-week campaign, which is a quarter of a year. And then to come down off of that, you literally have to shut off the, the, the world in order to kind of recoup mentally and physically. And you want to reconnect with your family and I'd say one of the mistakes that we made coming off the 50 was like not taking that time for ourselves and like rushing into it. To be honest, I left my wife with a huge mess to clean up and we were in the middle of a move and I'm like, I got to provide for the family and this is how I got to do it. And I got to go make money and I got to get on stages. And that meant travel and time away. And so for five years I was doing that. So there was no like big letdown. Well, with the hundred, we intentionally planned like a cut everybody off type scenario where we had to decompress and we needed a break from everybody. It's hard to be on 
publicly for that long of a time. And while you're doing the whole thing with exhaustion and fatigue and being physical for 14 to 17 hours a day, I mean, that is an insane toll on the body and everything behind the scenes that's done. And so this time when we finished, um, I did slip into a state where my mind was protecting me from the chaos and trauma that I was experiencing. The pain got to a, a very high level through some injuries that we experienced. And we had to, I made a decision to continue through that pain and, and, and how to manage that. But the mind is powerful and it goes to protect you. And then when you're done, your brain goes, okay, we're done. We've achieved the goal. Unfortunately, here comes the healing process. And I'm going to let you feel everything that I've been so powerfully masking from you two months removed and I'm slowly coming back to where my hormones are coming into balance again. Uh, my adrenals are recovering. I've never experienced this uh, situational depression and sadness, uh, just like weird crying for no reason and uh, getting emotional over things. And my family's been super supportive of me going through this. My sponsors have been unbelievable. They realized I needed to check out and that it was serious trauma that I, that I went through. And, and I can't articulate it. I can't put it into words that what we went through as a team. And there's very few, if anybody will ever grasp the magnitude of, of doing 140 miles a day with no days off for 14 weeks, covering 14,000 plus miles physically. It's just almost impossible to articulate. So Mark Manson has this quote. He said that he's someone who's on the podcast recently as well. He said that the meaning your goals provide when you're working towards them is the meaning that is taken away once you achieve them. Did you, did you experience any of that? The, the meaning didn't change and the impact didn't change. It's a temporary adjustment of expectations or the way I feel towards it. Because it doesn't take anything away from the actual accomplishment and the impact that we're going to have. And then now, because of it, I have an opportunity to go change more lives and give people more hope. And so I actually think it enhances the achievement once you successfully navigate the waters immediately after. And, th and that's just a season of confusion and it's not a reality. It's just a temporary state that we have to go through in order to get to the other side of getting back to normal. And, and I'd love for you to talk about what were the biggest differences between the 50 and the 100? I mean, just at any aspect, mentally, physically. I mean, out, obviously, outside of the fact that one was double the other, but like, what were, <laughs> what were the other big differences? Yeah, so the, the best way that I can put it is the 50 was um, chaos, uh, logistics, and fatigue. I was averaging, you know, two, three hours a night for seven weeks. And then the the hundred was injury, pain, and just mental suffering. Um, how well you could manage for that long of a time. And so it was chaos, logistics, and fatigue, and then pain management, injury, and longevity. Those those would be the two the two contrasting elements between the two. Both very, very difficult and both very, very difficult for different reasons. So looking back, knowing what you know now, like if you knew what to expect, like would you do the hundred again? Oh, absolutely. Again, it's it's hard to articulate the messages that we've received, the impact that we've had, the change that people have experienced, the hope. The feeling you get when somebody sends you a message that says I was about to take my own life and then I started following your journey and I'm here today chasing my own passions. You can't put a price on that. Um, and then we were able to raise a significant amount of money for Operation Underground Railroad, which is set out to eradicate sex slavery and human slaves. 
And it's shocking that in 2021, we're talking about human slaves. And I knew during the campaign that my suffering was going to end. But the, these individuals that are enslaved have no idea when their suffering is going to come to an end. And so that, you know, that also makes it worth it while you're in the middle of it. And, and during all of this, I'm just curious, how, how's it been for your family? I know they've been very supportive, but have there been times when they're like, James, like, you know, you don't have to do this. And, you know, has, has it been tough on them? It's been tough on them, but it's also been a blessing on them. It gives us a lifestyle that we want. And ultimately, it helps them all grow mentally in their own ways because we all had different roles on the journeys. My wife plays a very different role than I do. We communicate what those roles are. And just like it's hard for me physically and mentally, it's hard for her emotionally and mentally to support me and what I'm doing. We, we play very different but important roles. And, and I think she's an amazing guest on podcasts as well because she provides a very different perspective than what I provide, even though it was the same journey. My kids the same way. I mean, we didn't just win the kid lottery. I mean, they are exceptional kids because of the, the examples that Sonny and I try to set and, and the high level that we go through and the lessons that they learn through the adversity and the hardship. They fully embrace it and they, they recognize that they're exceptional students and kids and everything because of the adversity that they've, they've gone through with us as a family. And so, yeah, after, without a question, it's hard. Um, but that's, that's what develops and grows um, a, a society. And it's a, a huge problem of why we have so much softness and entitlement in, in the school systems and in the culture that we have surrounding us right now. It's a massive problem. There needs to be more struggle and adversity that that is intentionally taken head on. So actually on that note, you're not encouraging them to do 100 Ironman triathlons, but you are encouraging them to do difficult things and to go through periods of adversity. Why do you feel that's so important? Well, take a look at the 2020 pandemic, for an example. Um, you could take a look around and go, not handling it well, no experience mentally. They've never done anything hard in their lives. Handling it like a champ, They let me look at their resume. Okay, they've done some significant things in their life. They were ready for a moment like this. And so just to be ready for the unpredictable nature of life, it's important to take ourselves, our minds, our bodies, to be physically fit, to be mentally healthy, to be emotionally strong for when something like 2020 happens. That was unprecedented. But I'm telling you, everybody could take a step back right now and they could go, okay, handled well, didn't handled well, dumpster fire, train wreck, incredible outcome, you know, all these things. And it's everybody experienced the same epidemic, but we all experienced it in a different, unique way to ourselves. And I'm not demeaning anybody's struggles or their their capacity too. I'm saying from an observatory standpoint, it was very interesting to see the way some people handled it versus some people that maybe didn't handle it very well. And I could probably draw a pretty good correlation between that and their previous experience doing intentionally hard things because everybody's heart is different, right? We're all born with a certain baseline, but it's I believe it's our responsibility not only to feed our bodies, to be healthy, to be active, but to do the same thing with our minds. Well, in order for our bodies to be healthy, we have to stress them. Same thing with our minds. You have to stress your mind in order for it to be a healthy, functioning part of who we are. And the easy road is not always the best way to go. My wife always says, look, if I've got two paths, I always intentionally choose the harder one because I want to continually challenge my mindset and my growth. And uh, I look at that as, as incredibly inspirational and, and a good motivator for me to, to be that same example. Like, okay, look, I've got two ways to go here. This one's going to challenge me a little bit more. I think I'm going to choose that, intentionally choose that route so that I can develop and grow and progress. 
Yeah. And I will say, I mean, to the people listening or those that even heard your message, you know, when, when you mentioned that you hate running, right? For someone that runs 26 miles a day quite frequently, you know, a lot of people would say, well, if you don't like it, then why would you do it? And, and I think that's actually why you do it, right? Yeah, it, it's definitely part of the equation because in life, you're going to have to do some things that you that you don't like or want to do. And I, I have the really deep knowledge that I can accomplish things even if I don't like to do them. But there's a ton of other elements of my sport and what I do that I absolutely love and thrive off of. But in life, like anything, you, if you're in a relationship, there's going to be a lot of things you love about that relationship, but there's also going to be things that you don't like about it and that sometimes suck and we want to work on those and make them better. But if you have no experience doing things that you don't like, that relationship is going to end really quick. And and so just like with anything, you have to be okay with being uncomfortable and you have to be okay with doing things you don't necessarily always want to do. It's called compromise. <laughs> and, and James, as you look back, just even across your journey, are you proud of yourself? Absolutely. We're, we're not perfect. We've never claimed to be perfect. We make mistakes. We're human like everybody else. Anybody that says they're perfect is is a complete liar and, and full of themselves and they're just having an ego party with themselves. Um, but yeah, absolutely proud of, of what we did. This last campaign um, was executed exactly how we wanted to. I didn't want to have those injuries that I did. I didn't want to have to battle in the way that I did. Um, but I think it brought value to to a lot of people that wouldn't have been able to join us had I been at 100% the whole time. It allowed people to participate with us that wouldn't have been able to. I think it, it had a lot of meaning to it, but absolutely, without a doubt, um, I couldn't I couldn't be more proud of myself and the team. Um, the way that we executed, we try to do everything with integrity and openness and uh, and welcome all people to join with us. James's Conquer 100 initiative is actually a bit of a misnomer. Because after completing 100 consecutive Ironman length triathlons in 100 days, he decided to complete one more for a total of 101. I asked him why he decided to do one more. It was a decision that wasn't made at the beginning. It was a decision that was made three, four days before um, the actual 100. And I just kept getting the feeling. I do a lot of things off of how I feel, gut feeling, emotion, inspiration. And I just kept getting the feeling you have to do one more. You can't just teach a principle. You have to be the example. And the reality is everybody struggles. We all have moments where we feel like we're completely broken, where we're backed into a corner, where we cannot conceptualize getting up and facing the day, facing our challengers, facing the adversity. It's just too much. And I I felt I would be a hypocrite if I didn't get up when I was broken exhausted when the goal was achieved to not go do one more um because the reality is is i I promise you no matter where you are what you're doing if you're broken you're defeated you can get up and do one more and i don't know how many times you're going to have to get up and do one more and sometimes you're going to have to get up and do one more alone but i promise you you can do it and I, i felt i had to do it myself if if i wanted to be a person that would eventually want to talk about, look, you've, you've all got one more in you. You can do one more rep. I, I felt like I had to do it in order to be warranted to be able to speak about it. And I know you mentioned your wife, Sunny, it's even several times as you and I have been speaking as being kind of instrumental and in having that, you know, that support system in your life. Do you think you could have done this without her? 
No, we did want to kill each other during the 100 and the 50, but we also realized it's situational. Nobody knows me like she knows me. Nobody knows her like I know her. We are the best teammates for each other, good, bad, or ugly. And uh, I'm so grateful that she's as great as a human as she is because during these big challenges, I sometimes go into a, a state that I don't know what I'm doing or saying or meaning and I'm um, not using it as an excuse or anything, but she is so gracious that she gave me a hundred day pass on anything I said or did. Um, and she'll say things to me and I'm like, no way I said that. And she was like, no, we recorded it. You said that. And I was like, son of a gun. I'm so sorry. Um, because you, you, you don't remember things when you're in that state. And again, it's no excuse, but she is, she is that unbelievable and that remarkable. Um, I don't know anybody else that would have given anybody a hundred day pass like that, but we fight together. Uh, we love together, we we battle together, and I think that's what makes us so great is that we have 20, you know, we're coming up 21 years worth of experience together knowing each other at that level. And at some point in time, I just hand over the reins and say, I'm no longer capable of making sound decisions and you get to make them for me until this campaign's over. That's a hard thing to do. And we battled and battled and this is right, no, this is right. And she's like, no, you, I got you. This is what we're doing. And eventually I come around and, and we're good. What, what advice would you give to somebody who's considered working with their spouse? Like, how, how do you make it work? <laughs> um, a lot of uh, patience, forgiveness, and um, compromise. You don't always have to be right. Pick your battles when appropriate. Praise them for the work that they're doing and realize that both parties are, are human. You're going to make mistakes and come at it from a position of love and you can't go wrong. So, so you went from 50 Ironman triathlons to 101. What, what's next? I mean, you've got to be thinking about something. Yeah. Uh, my focus now is, is obviously recovery. I believe I'm still in that phase of, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to plan something else because I'm, I feel like I'm still in the middle of this one, but honestly, I, I am, really satisfied with what we did, how we did it, finding my mental and physical limits. I believe I could go achieve anything I wanted. The risk reward and sacrifice would need to be worth it. And to do another challenge like that, I'd, the upswing for me just isn't isn't there anymore. I have a great platform. I, I love what I do. Um, we have a, a great message to share and I want to continue to do that. I, I think honestly, I want to continue the recovery process and and get to the point where I'm living a very meaningful life uh, well into my hundreds. And, and how would you describe kind of the James Lawrence of 2021 versus the one, let's say six years ago when you finished the 50? Like what are the biggest differences you see between that? Yeah, it's weird because I always think I'm the same person and then I look back and I've always, you know, can isolate some growth. I'd like to think I'm a, a better father. I th I'd like to think I'm more compassionate. I'd like to think I'm more patient. The human journey is is interesting and I think my goal is just to continue to to try to try to be the best I can. And I, I struggle like everybody else. Um, uh, I, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. And I, I truly believe that everybody's heart is different and it's based off of our experiences. I'm just on a journey. And I, I like to hope that I'm a better person than I was uh, five years ago. And I hope five years from now, I mean, a different person than I am sitting here having this conversation with you. And I think everybody should strive to to have that that growth. I, you better not be the same person you were when you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 40. And then, you know, I'm 45 now. So I hope I'm not the same person at 50 than I am sitting here today. So you're 45 now, just did 101 Ironman triathlons. No one really, no one has any excuse, right? I mean, no one. No. I love that. 
So James, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney Podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? I think it's it's what we just said. It's continually trying to find the best version of yourself and realize that even though you may not think so, someone's watching you at all times. And so who you are in the dark when you think nobody is watching is who you really are. And if you can be that person, you're just going to be an even more spectacular person in the light. And so lead life with uh, strength and integrity. Uh, keep showing up. And uh, that's how you can be a game changer for other people. I want to give a huge thank you to James Lawrence for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated with me was when James said that no matter how exhausted, discouraged, or defeated we may feel in the moment, if our goals and the people we impact are important enough to us, we must find a way to keep moving forward and do one more. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with James Lawrence, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com. And join us next time when we'll be speaking with serial entrepreneur and legal industry veteran, Paul Faust, who many know as Cool Guy Paul. When you do things right, people want to help you. They want to do right. And I have to tell guys, look, I'm good. When the opportunities arise, don't go out of your way. But I'm a long-term player. I'm not going anywhere. I want to do this for a long time. And I joke, I was staying there say, if every one of my friends became billionaires, I my heart would explode. Makes me happy watching other people succeed. So I just think it's a different approach than the me, 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 and I have to win and I have to be the best and I have to this, that, and the other. I'm just being a different best. And I think lawyers need to think about that too. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Thank you.